I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today in Johannesburg is Claire Johnston, who is the lead singer of iconic South African music group Manga Groove. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks for that lovely introduction. It's great to be with you. We're so glad you're here, especially with the whole celebration of your your 30th anniversary, which is (laughs) imminent. Yes, it is. And very exciting times for us, celebrating the release of the very first album, which um, made an impact that we just weren't anticipating. So it's lovely to go back and feel all those feelings again. To start with reflecting back in history, Manga Mm. Groove began in 1984. That's right. You joined in 1985 Mm -hmm. at the tender age of of 17. (laughs) I know, crazy. Now, after more than 30 years in the music industry, Mm. I think that you've you've really, as as a group, traversed South Africa's timeline from being in the apartheid regime, which mm. was a dark period for, for all of us, yeah. traversing through to liberation, the first democratic election, which was infused with, with such hope and change for a politically free country. Yep. Can you reflect on that journey for us from when it began as this multi-ethnic group, yes. which was obviously shied upon during that time? Exactly. Very, very much frowned upon and, and not encouraged. And as you say, I was 17. I joined a band where our trombonist was a black man of 64. He was 64 years old. He'd served in the entertainment corps in World War II. And I just loved what the band sort of represented. I'd grown up listening to Louis Armstrong and um, Ella Fitzgerald. And Mango had just enough jazz, well, basically its roots are in African jazz, that sort of spoke to me. So I was I was ecstatic to join this band. But as you correctly say, in those days it wasn't encouraged for black and white South Africans to work together. And uh, we did experience... Difficulties, you can imagine. Um, I joined the band in 85 and 86. The state of emergency was declared. And, um, you know, we, we did have to be selective about venues. We'd have issues with if we ever traveled, which we did around the country. We'd have to pick hotels quite carefully. There were those sorts of issues. John, for instance, the founding member, um, he was arrested in Soweto for dropping um, Jack Larole back at home. He was arrested under a pass offense. He was thrown in jail. <laughs> for breaking the past laws. So those sorts of things colored our, our very early years. But the music sort of made it all possible, made it, made it work. The music was what, was, was what it was all about. And people started to sort of get what we were about, and we started to grow a little bit of a, a following. And um, then in 89, when we released our first album, that's when it really, it really exploded. And, and our timing was good. So that's when it really became a, a proper South African story in, in a bigger sense. Given this, this time span, can you share with us some of the more vivid memories? There must have been some incredible moments throughout <laughs> yes. this journey. What are some Absolutely. of the key ones? Absolutely. When I joined the band, I was incredibly shy. I mean, really, really shy. I was, I guess, as you, you know, as you were saying, 17. Baby. I, was, I was a child. I mean, I look back and I think my mum was incredibly trusting and, and supportive and I thank her for that. Um, but I remember all sorts of weird and wonderful gigs. We did a gig once in Alex during the day and in between um, in between songs we'd have to read out the prices. It was the opening of a, of a store. We'd read out the prices of different d- different grocery items. So special today um, X item 99 cents. <laughs> 
Oh, that, that stands out quite vividly. I've just had that flash in my head. And then, of course, you know, other things like traveling around the country, breaking down, then starting to perform at, at universities and getting a huge response from university kids and starting to feel like we were you know, heading in the right direction. Those sorts of things um, stand out now that we're looking back as much as we are. And when you say that the, the launch album in 1989, so that was five years into mm. the journey. Yeah. A lot of people would have given up. No, you're absolutely right. And and a personal struggle for me was that um, in 1987, I think end of, I lost my voice for an entire year. And the band went back to being instrumental for a whole year. And this was during the time we were offered this wonderful record deal. And I had to find out what the hell was wrong with my voice. And it turned out my um, my tonsils were a big part of the problem. And while they were in there taking out my tonsils, they also got off, lased off a couple of nodules. And then I was fit for purpose again. I was fit to record the album that was finally released in 89 and that did so so well, much to our surprise. <laughs> Brilliant. As I was preparing for the interview, and I mean, we've, we've spoken now looking at, at mid-80s, mm. and I, I thought back to that period, but I also thought how life how life was and how much the music industry in particular has evolved i mean that was yes. cassettes then we moved to <laughs> cd's uh, now we've got music on demand we've got yeah. direct sales you've got social me- media you've got personal branding it's a different beast it really is have you managed to to navigate well, when we released um, our most recent album two years ago, it, it, it was re- we were releasing it into a brand new world, a brand new landscape. And it, I've had to become quite sort of social media friendly. I battle with it because you know, when we first started out, we would have photographers who would take photographs of us and release them to the press, people to write our press releases. <laughs> now, you've pretty much got to do it yourself. You have a team around you, but you've got to push out the message. So I've become a little bit better at it. But I'm a bit self-conscious about it. I don't like, you know, it feels sort of braggy to say, aren't we wonderful? You want other people to say it about you. So it is a, it's a different thing. And, uh, you know, you have to work harder to, to, make, to make money. The live thing has become the, the focus, which is great because mm-hmm. Mango Groove is, I mean, that's our strength. I think live is our, is our strength. We're, we're, we're having more fun now than ever. Eleven of us on stage just all a bit crazy and 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 just loving what we do so now your yeah, live is an opportunity to sell merchandise that's where you sell your albums you can now p- release vinyls all over again which we're about to do so you've just got to f- sort of learn what's what's happening and and roll with it make friends with it it's interesting on the merchandise piece i, I was I had um, louise carver on the show a couple of years ago and her take on merchandise is is jewelry as a completely so different so it line. is i've even bought some of her jewelry so it's fascinating how it's Clever. not just the, the, the music angle as your primary product, but incorporating that other creative That is so elements. right. There can be all sorts of spin-offs. Sort of thing, if I'm clever, I'd, I, I should get uh, my head around because I'd love to make things like shoes and handbags. So let's see, see if I get it together. <laughs> Mango shoes. Mango shoes. What do you think have been some of the secrets to your longevity as a group? I think our conviction is a is a big part of the the um, success. You know, we've always loved what we do. Um, obviously, we've had some lineup changes over the years. We've had people passing 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 on, basically. Um, Mickey Villacazi sadly died around the time of the release of the first album, so he never got to see things really, you know, grow for us, and I, that makes me sad. 
So it is the passion, it is the conviction, it is the, I see, I suppose there's a degree of tenacity. You know, we've really stuck it out through some really tough times. You know, the music industry is a very cool mistress and I, I would caution anyone who's thinking about getting into it. I would say you must, must be very passionate and you must be very resilient. It's not for the faint hearted. So, um, yeah, I think it is that, that passion that keeps bringing us back to it as much as I've done some solo projects. Mango's always been my musical home. And my happy place, actually. You mentioned there are 11 members. Yes. yes. That um, must be such an incredible dynamic. You've got vocals, you've got yes. brass, you've got rhythm. How do you compose? How do you develop your, your not just the sound, but in mm. terms of the, the tracks going forward with this yes. massive group of, of creative spirits? That's a lovely question. John's always been the driving, the initial driving a creative force behind a song so he'll come up with a, a concept he'll very often then come to me bounce it off me and then it'll get fleshed out amongst the rest of the band brass lines will be added um, you know textures will be added vocals extra vocals will be added and so the song will grow and develop its own sort of life and its own energy because of those 11 people all adding their their own their own take and very energy. Very or- organic. Process. It is actually quite organic. I mean, John really is the you know as the founding member, and you know he Mango is very much his brainchild or passion child, shall I rather say? Um, so he's the guy definitely sort of controlling everything and you know in charge of the way it goes forward. But it's very very inclusive and very organic. And how long would you say it takes from start to finish as as an average? It really does vary. Some songs almost write themselves. Other songs, you know, with the Faces to the Sun album two years ago, some songs we went, we revisited many times and they started off in, with a particular treatment and by, at the end of it they were completely stripped down and, and, and changed and better for it. So it really does, it really does depend. You've also had a solo career yes. in conjunction. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit of, of the, uh, the the differences? So one is, is group-focused, enormous. Yes. And the other is, is very independent. I'm, in some ways I've realized, I mean, probably because I sort of started so young with Mango Group, with this sort of group um, identity, I'm more comfortable there. If it's just me, I feel very exposed. I mean, it's lovely. It's something I'll still do. But I'm more at home with, with my Mango family. So when I do a solo project, it needs to be quite different from Mango. I mean, it mustn't sound anything like it, which is difficult because people expect me to sound like that. And meanwhile, the reason I'm doing it is because it needs to be other than. Um, but no, it's, it's always challenging. I always learn a lot about myself. The first solo album I recorded was mostly done in the UK. I worked in amazing places like Real World Studios, Peter Gabriel's um, studio, um, legendary studios in London. It was a real reinvention. And I loved it, but I was I was terrified. And it was, you know, I'm proud of it, but it, it was also nice to get back to Mango. You reminded me of something I read from Jeremy Irons, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to articulate it exactly as he said it. Mm. But he, he was saying that there is this, in acting, you are you're playing someone else. You're you're creating yes. this, this persona, and you want a, a diversity and, and breadth of of experiences. But he said, consistently, people expect the same thing from you. That they expect you to play the same character. He's absolutely right. He is absolutely right. You know, when you make an impact the way Mango did in in eighty nine, you know, you you become. That's 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 your identity. So when you try and break away from that, just for a little bit. 
<laughs> people are surprised and a bit shocked, and they almost can't buy buy into you as that other in, as that other entity. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they've, they've comfortably boxed yeah, you this into is who this you are. environment. What do you think you're doing doing that? That's that's not who you are. Uh, no, that's tough. And I, I imagine with an actor like Jeremy Irons, who's who's got such a he's got such a range, and he must want to play all sorts of different things. I can imagine people wanting to corral him into certain certain roles. It must be frustrating. Your studio albums from Manga Groove have included Manga Groove, 1989, Home Talk, 1990, mm-hmm. Another Country, 1993, Eater Manga, 1995, <laughs> and then there was a bit of a, a gap yes. to Bang the Drum, 2009, Another Gap to yes. Faces to, to the Sun. Yes, well spotted. Those gaps were, there were some business issues with um, with record companies that we had. Um, that's also the time that I decided to, to take a break and, and, and do some solo stuff. So that was an interesting period. Uh, also got slightly immersed in the world of conservation, Got uh, wrote and co-produced um, an album called Starehe, which, um, which was a bit of a passion project where I worked with my ex-husband, John, who's also the founding member of Mango Groove. And then in between Bang the Drum and Face to the Sun, it was a bit of a personally challenging time. John and I separated. Um, my mum passed away. And it was, you know, it was a strange time. But during that time, oddly, we were still able to be creative and we were conceptualizing the Face to the Sun album. So, you know, we've also never been particularly prolific. We've always sort of been considered about what we do. We don't sort of go roaring into things. So that's kind of how we've, yeah, always always been really in in over the years. A lot of deliberation going into Yes. And as you said, when you're you're forging the, the tracks that you go back, revisit, Play with the textures. That's exactly right. And that gives you the time, if you're not being prolific, to really create a product that you're proud of. That's very nicely said. One could also say we just procrastinate or agonize, which which is true. We do. We, We... yeah, we we are frightened of rushing into things, and and because it's eleven people, you do want to take your time. You want to layer things. You want to texture things. You want to do things justice. So that's that's the other excuse. And you've got well, we'll we'll leave those excuses. But you've <laughs> you've got such a distinct sound, and yeah, that there's nothing else like mango groove. I suppose not. I suppose we are. You know, you either love us or you hate us, but you sort of know it's us. Yeah. I think that that's definitively associated with with South Africa. Oh, it's well. South Africa's our inspiration, absolutely. And you can also hear nuances and influences coming into like a like a freshly ground or, yes. or other newcomers. How do you feel, almost from a, a legacy point of view, of your your sound being able to influence younger generations? I would love that. I mean, for instance, you know, with Mango, we were so influenced by Spokes Mashiani and Lemmy Special and Miriam Makeba. So I think every generation of artists has been influenced by, you know, the generation before. So if we've had, um, you know, any impact on younger artists, I'd be absolutely thrilled and honoured. And that is, as you say, that is legacy when you have, when you make impacts on future generations. Now coming back to where we are. As, yes. Uh, 2019, you are celebrating 30th anniversary of the, the debut self-titled album, Mango Groove. That's it, exactly. You are doing a celebratory 
concert at Monte Cassino in March. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So we opened one concert at the Teatro um, at Monte Cassino on the, on the 8th of March, and this, the demand's been so great, we've had to open a second concert. So thank you very much to everyone for all the wonderful support. We really are, you know, just delighted and excited. Um, so, I mean, we've been gigging a lot over the last few years, but this feels different. I think it's because we're... We're looking back because we're particularly looking back at that first album. Um, so you get very nostalgic. We're going through old memory boxes, old photographs, old you know magazine covers, and and it's been quite emotional. So there's going to be a big AV component to the show, um, some music videos and some old snapshots, and you know hopefully quite an emotional journey certainly for us. And then a couple of surprise guest artists and just the songs that people hopefully know and and love. What you'd expect from a Mango Groove sort of 30th year um, celebration. That's, what, that's probably what you'll get. Any tickets left? Well, I know they're flying. So, um, you know, you need to hurry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, CompuTicket? CompuTicket, thank you. Yes, CompuTicket. Absolutely. Today, we're talking to Claire Johnston, who is the lead singer of iconic South African music group Mango Groove. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Now, despite being busy in the band and uh, you'd started out at at 17, you still managed to complete a degree in English philosophy and politics Mm. at WITS in 1988. Education as a skill and, and resource which contributes to women's de- empowerment as well as to the, the betterment of the lives of, of their families. Totally. And as I mentioned offline, I record a conversation with Sibungile Kumalo about the neglect of arts education within our education curriculum. Yeah. And she was explaining how you know, performance is, is linked to, to social development, how yeah. you behave, how you engage with people, build confidence, it's team quite right. spirit. Yep. And creativity. Yep. But what are your thoughts? And self-healing. I think it's it's becoming something that is being, I, I think I read correctly, it's being prescribed somewhere in Europe, possibly in the UK, um, that if people are depressed, particularly young people, it's recommended that they actually get involved in music and get, get into the arts in some way. And that it's healing. And I have definitely found that to be the case. Um, I came from a broken home where my father was quite abusive and uh, very talented, very musical. And uh, always encouraged me to, you know, pursue my dream of singing. I was singing from the age of three. And I have no doubt that me turning to music and to, and to theatre to some extent was a way of transporting myself and self-healing. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that and the importance of, of and the health of, of pursuing something creative. And what would you say the role of education has had on on your career and, and your development? Well, when I left school in, in 1985, the same year I joined I joined Mango, I came away feeling I mean I had I'd had a good education, but it was an apartheid South Africa, you know, edu- it was a TED education, Transvaal Education Department education, and we were we were taught certain things that I you know when I when I joined up when I met Mango Groove, I started to realise that. My eyes had been closed to a very large degree, and I was going to go and study drama at Vitz, and I changed my mind. I suddenly thought, you know what, I, I want to flesh out my education. I want to do something like philosophy, politics, English I just always loved, um, particularly the, the creative side of it. But the politics and philosophy just it became important to me to sort of know how to think, 
And that's where that came in. And I think it's been very useful. I mean, I've never been employed. I've always been self-employed or self-unemployed, if you prefer. And um, and I have no regrets. I, I, I think I've been in a better position in my own career you know, as, a, as a performer because of my degree. Probably and given me a level of understanding and of confidence. Yeah, and that, that capacity for critical thought. And critical thought, absolutely, and for, yeah, for sort of self-analysis. Now, on the 8th of March, which coincidentally is, is snap bang in the middle of your, your concerting, women across the world celebrate International Women's Day. And this year's theme is Think Equal, Build Smart, Innovate for Change. And there's a hashtag of, of balance for better. In your opinion, what areas do you think we need to build on the most to benefit women in the future? In South Africa, hmm. I think we've got to start with um, this, giving women a stronger sense of themselves. I think very often we come into the world as second-class citizens. We, we consider ourselves to be second-class citizens. And that's fundamentally important is for us to realize that we have every right. We have the same rights as men. Um, it's it's our humanity that we should be just super aware of, and that hopefully will will empower us. But then, of course, there are the greater issues. I mean, there are still women being paid less than men, um, which is a huge huge bugbear of mine. I, I was very proud. To, well, I am very proud. My mum passed away um, about oh, almost seven years ago now. And when she left my father, she'd never really worked before, but she had to go back. She had to go out into the workplace, and she got a job in an insurance company, and. I'm so proud of her that she did this. She she went to them, I think, a couple of months into her employment and said, I really do need to be on your pension plan. I'm a single mother with a daughter. Oh, no, no, no. It was only the men who get that. And my mother said, I, I beg your pardon. And she challenged them. And, and she was the person who got them to implement a pension plan for women. Now, we need that sort of practical thing to happen as well. But that can only come if women... We, almost, we, have to, we have to fight our corner, I'm afraid. And there are some, obviously some very enlightened men out there. There are some great men out there who, who obviously feel the same. So it is about education. It's about educating young men and young women to respect everybody. And like you say, when I think of the South African context, we have got so many single mothers. It's a huge thing in this there country. Isn't, there isn't a man in no. the household to say, no. okay, no, he's, he's the main breadwinner and he'll be contributing. It's the mums. No, that's it. It's a different, it's a different world. And corporate South Africa needs to wake up to all mm. of this. And on the salary issue, I think when I looked at some of our recent stats, women are underpaid something like 23%. Compared to I, I, their I don't understand this. male counterparts. I don't understand. And at the end of last year, I was fascinated. There was a, there was a campaign in Europe where um, women were, were putting an out-of-office notice on, on their emails saying, and this was in relation to their, their salary differential, by saying, you know, now we're uh, in the month of November and this equates to X percent of us basically working for free. Wow. Now that's powerful. And if I looked at it from a South African context, given this 23% gap, we effectively would be out of office from August. Wow, I quite like that. Yeah, that, that, if, I think if one needs to put things like that to understand the impact and the injustice of the, of the whole picture. So given what we know now, <laughs> how do you think South Africa will look in, in 10 to 20 years' time concerning women's rights and gender equality? I think we're on a good track. 
I think women are speaking up for themselves more. I think there is a greater awareness of the fact that, you know, equality is essential. I think with our changing South Africa, with our hopefully, hopefully becoming more enlightened in all sorts of areas, and hopefully that's one of the main ones. In the last few years, there's been a, a wave of movements like Me Too, mm. Time's Up, and they're publicizing sexual harassment. And to a large extent, it, it seemed to be about actresses and performance artists yeah. highlighting uh, as, as victims of harassment and, and being quite upfront and, uh, and admitting to this. What do you think about these campaigns? Are they harmful, helpful to furthering the agenda for women's I think they're probably helpful. I think what ha- what is emerging um, is the fact that it has been an ongoing problem for a very long time. And I think every woman, every woman I know, myself included, has a story or two like that. But we were brought up in a time where it was considered, it was okay. It was actually okay to be manhandled or to be treated a particular way. In fact, it was almost a compliment if a man sort of came on to you very strong and wouldn't say wouldn't take no for an answer and perhaps gave you a grope it was almost a, an implied compliment and i'm very relieved we've got to a point where we're realizing it isn't okay to go around grabbing women it's not a compliment it's it's it's, it's abuse so i understand why some people are thinking it's potentially going a bit too far and everyone's you know coming out with their story but i i think it's it's pretty valid i think most young women uh, well, most women my generation, let's let's put it differently, most women my generation went through a lot of that. So if we can, if this can put an end to a lot of that sort of behavior, I'd, I'd be very happy. But apart from the, the groping aspect and yeah. the, the complete intrusion and invasion of, of your, your, space. your body and your space, yeah. it was also the um, almost like a, like a ticket as a, as a lead. If If I do this to you, then I will give you a step up in your career. True. The casting couch. We always heard about the casting couch when I first started out in, 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 in show business, and I kept sort of fearing a casting couch. And thank goodness it never, never came to it. Um, but you're right. There were, there, there were all legendary stories about the number of young women who, who did X, Y, and Z in relation to a particular man in order to get ahead in their careers, as if their talent wasn't enough. So it's all of that. You're right. It's a complex picture, and it's a very ugly picture. In many ways, I think with with movements like this, it is, is saying no more. It is saying no more enough, absolutely, and that's and that's right. And I think there are a lot of good men out there who didn't know this was actually going on. Um, but it's time for everyone to just face the reality and to put an end to this. And now turning towards a, a personal perspective, one of the the questions that I ask all my guests on mm. this show, who've made tremendous inroads in their respective careers, is about what they consider to be some of the factors of their success which led them to where they are today. Some people speak about perseverance, Mm. hard work, a particular person. Can you share with us what have been some of your driving factors? What was interesting for me looking back at, at, you know, I had this amazing sort of drive, even at the age of three, four, five, to sing. I I wanted to perform. I don't know what was driving that, whether I wanted approval, whether I liked making people happy, whether I liked being admired, because I was always admired when I sang. So this became like a really nice, fun thing. So there was that. It was in me to want to perform. So that was a given. Um... I was encouraged very much by by both parents um, to, to to do it, and that that of course helped. 
And then I think just having an incredibly supportive mother who was able to trust me enough to take me to an audition at the age of 10, despite her misgivings, and me getting into the show and her then just passionately believing in me. And in fact, she was disappointed when I came to her when I was 17, saying, Ma, I've changed my mind. I think I'm just going to, I'd rather do politics, philosophy, and English instead of drama. And she said, but you've always wanted to do drama. You know, she was always so completely behind me. So I just, yeah, thank you to her because she was a huge part of it. And then, you know, she hooked up with a lovely man called Don, who also was very supportive. So there was nothing in my way. I was, you know, you hear so many people saying I had to really convince my parents. I, I was so lucky. I coasted through with that, that lovely support. And one of my questions was going to be about strong women in your life. Clearly, yeah. your mom has been My mom, yeah, yeah. My mom who had a very rough time. And um, I still get really upset when I think about it sometimes, actually. So, yeah, she, I wish she was here now. I wish she was here for the 30th anniversary. She, she would just love it. <laughs> but she's walked the journey. She certainly sure. has walked the journey, indeed. You've shared with us some of these important moments. Uh, can you tell us what have been some of the, the pivotal aspects in your life when, when you were growing up? Pivotal aspects in, in the sense of... What, what's made you who you who are I today? Am. Influenced you? Definitely books. books. Uh, I was obsessed with books. Only child, um, very bored in the school holidays I'd sometimes plow through three four books in one day lived in my imagination massively nothing was or impossible fiction. mostly fiction absolutely but I truly believed that anything was possible and so I was a dreamer and I think dreamers that you can get smacked along the way but I think if you have a, a dream a big dream and you and you push through with it you can maybe potentially achieve it and I sort of to a large extent I have you know you're not you're not prepared for the, some of the pitfalls along the way but you still pick yourself up and you, you carry on. So I think I've learned to be strong. Um, I'm incredibly oversensitive about some things. I mean, I really am. And I, then I try and remind myself what, you know, what creative people are. You're meant to feel these things because if you don't feel these things, you're not going to be a very good creator of anything or communicator of anything. But uh, So that's, that's something I need to just watch with myself is the oversensitive thing. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think I am pretty strong, and I, I, I think I think women are. I think we are. I think we underestimate ourselves. That's that's come through a lot. I must say, in, in terms of the, the programs that, that yeah. I've done on underestimation, uh, lack of belief yes. in oneself, yes, N not good enough. You know, there's too much of that. There's too much of a sense of comparison with X, Y, and Z, and that's something we have to watch with this whole social media explosion. Um, you know, I think I feel for young people sometimes getting sucked into too much of it and it not being good for self-esteem. I think that's something to watch. Well, you've got someone there who often is not real, someone who yeah. doesn't know who you are mm. and are relaying a comment in, what, 160 characters? Exactly. So that's something we all need to guard against taking too seriously. What would you like your legacy to be? Well, my legacy... Um, well, I'm hoping the music will live on for a very long time and that I've been a small part of that. You know, I'd like to think that in 50 years, 100 years, someone will listen to Special Star and feel good. That would be wonderful. Um, as a woman, as, a, as opposed to being a little girl, I was a little girl when I joined the band. I'm now a grown woman of 51. I'd like to do more for young women. I'd like to get more involved in, in, in something that makes a difference. Um, so, yes, I have, I have some, some plans, so we'll see. 
see what happens. We've talked a lot from the, the music aspect, which has obviously been your, your key drive on, on your career. Yeah. But you also mentioned briefly your, your interest in, in conservation. Yeah. Please, can you share a little of that and what you've done? Well, I've just become very aware of the fact that it's it's not this sort of rarefied, touchy-feely thing of getting into a you know vehicle and going admiring to admire the wildlife. It's about a system, an ecosystem that we need to that we are a part of, and that we are basically riding roughshod over, and we're not showing the res- requisite respect to it, and as a result, it, we're, we're destroying the thing that sustains us. So just from a practical point of view, we need to start viewing ourselves as part of the natural world as opposed to just sort of striding across it. So that's becoming an important thing for me if I can also you know, get involved in, in, in teaching people in, in, in a, you know, the best way to teach anyone anything I've realized is through something like music, is through enjoyment, through, through fun. So that's something I'd, I'd be looking at, at getting more involved in. Beyond the conservation aspect, which is something very personal to you, mm. you've also had an experience of, of breast cancer. Yes, that's right. A year ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and it's, it's a terrifying thing when you hear that word um, coming out of the doctor's mouth. And, uh, but I got really lucky. I had surgery. They took out the lump. And then literally a month ago, I got the news that I'm completely clear. I have to be very careful. I have to go every year now. But my message to, to women out there is to go for mammograms. Um, I say this because self-examination would not have found this lump. I had to go for, I think it was two mammograms and two biopsies. And um, that's what revealed the, this nasty lurking, lurking lump. So I really would, uh, I think after the age of 40, I think you should go and get a baseline and then every two years after that. Otherwise, I, you know, who knows? what the status of, of my, my cancer would be if I hadn't gone for the mammogram. So please, guys. And, and the reality is that you don't feel any different no. at those early stages. No. You've got no idea. You've got no idea. So it starts off as this, as this lump hidden away in, 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 the, in, in, in your breast. And if you don't find it um, early on, it'll travel and it'll get into your lymph nodes. And once it's there, then it can take over your body. And then it's terminal. Then it's terminal. And this really is one of the most easily curable cancers. So, well, thank you for <laughs> that, the health message <laughs> as well. Um, it, it really is an important. Uh, no, it really is. I, I feel very strongly about this. I, I feel I want to share this with people. So the future is more music. Yes, connecting with younger women on Definitely. hopefully they can learn some of the lessons without having to walk the journey and bang their heads exactly and uh, transforming ideas and notions about conservation and an appreciation for where we live. Thank you for putting it so beautifully. I was rambling along. No, you've, you've summed it up perfectly. Exactly. Those are, def- those are definitely things that are very close to my heart. And lastly, as we, we close out our show today, could you please share a, a few words of, of inspiration to, to perhaps young women who are, are considering pursuing a, a musical career mm. or, or any other fact for that matter? Well, I think if you've got that passion, you are going to have to do something about it. You can't just, you know, leave it and and pretend it's not there. So if you have the passion to do something creative or something ambitious, run with it and uh, believe in yourself. And if you get shot down, pick yourself up and dust yourself up, off and, and keep on going. Because we all have it. We all have um, people saying, oh, you'll never make it or the sound will never work. 
just be true to yourself and be original if you're in a creative area in a creative field who what what are you in that field what is your style what what moves you what is what is it authentic to you and i think that's that's a good way to sort of start hmm. importance of authenticity or, authenticity or, yes self identity exactly and then of course you, you're going to have to be sort of business savvy as well i'm afraid because it is a business a creative world attracts money and where there's money there are charlatans so you've just got to be a bit suspicious be very careful and um and just be true to yourself thank you very much for those words of <laughs> of wisdom thank you um and we wish you all the best of luck for the next leg in your journey thank you so much and um have a wonderful 30th birthday celebration <laughs> it is a bit like that it's feeling very celebratory you have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, and we have been talking to Claire Johnston, who is lead singer of iconic South African music group, Manga Groove, who are currently celebrating the 30th anniversary of their debut album. 